This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 200. Yes, that's right, 200 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, 200 episodes. It is still hard for me to believe this show has stuck around this long. I don't think I really did anything special for episode 100, but uh, 200 I think is definitely worth celebrating, and I'll do that a little later on in today's main segment. It's been a lot of fun reflecting or looking back at all the show descriptions. I can't wait to share some of that process with you, so you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I had a chance to do some celebrating of a different type this past weekend, When Mrs. Wax Museum and I made the four-hour drive to watch the Pacers and Heat face off in Miami on Friday night. As a lot of you know, getting autographs at NBA games is a big part of the experience for me. So last March, I talked about getting Pacers autographs in Orlando, and I showed some of the customs I made for that trip on my YouTube. Well, I made more customs for this trip, including a Timeless Moments card of Andrew Nimhard hitting a game winner over LeBron. I doubt Panini ever makes that one, Uh, and if they do, for whatever reason, I know he's not a star, if they do, it's going to be forever before that comes out, so I decided I was going to try and make one for myself, so um, I thought, hey, this would be a great spot to get it signed, so we got to the FTX Arena pretty early, yes, you heard that right, FTX Arena, probably due for a name change by now, but we got to the arena pretty early because even though I've attended games there before, I've never tried for autographs. Unfortunately, the player tunnel in every spot you could conceivably get autographs there is blocked off by some sort of physical boundary or an usher or both. Um, I did get Pacers announcer Eddie Gill, though, on my 2004 tops total as he just happened to walk by our row in the stands, but that was dumb luck. Otherwise, I struck out when it came to autographs, but that wasn't the only reason I was there. Obviously, I was excited to see the game, And these two teams had just faced off against one another about a week and a half before this game. That one was not good. The Pacers scored 18 points in the fourth quarter, basically gave the game away. I think Tyrese Halliburton had one point, which is not typical for him. Well, this time around was a different story. Tyrese hit a franchise record 10 threes in this game and notched his career high of 43 points, including a very important three-point shot with four seconds left that essentially sealed it. So that was exciting because I've been to, you know, I've been going to road games since 2003 now, not necessarily in Miami, but in other spots. And um, I've been to some humiliating losses. And then, of course, whenever you lose, you always have that walk of shame. 
through a sea of opposing fans on the way out the door, but not this time. So that was a lot of fun. And a bunch of you reached out to me after the game, and I tried to get back to everyone. At least I'm pretty sure I did. I really appreciate you guys thinking of me and congratulating me on being able to attend a great game. And I think I've got at least one Orlando game I'll be attending before the end of the season. So hopefully I can continue to be a good luck charm. I'll also be watching Panini releases closely next season, whenever that comes, for Pacer shots in gold uniforms. I've talked a lot about photo matching cards to games lately. I'd sure love to have a card with a nice action shot of Tyrese sinking that game winner. Uh, Definitely won't come in hoops because I think that's probably already put together, but maybe one of the releases further in the season. Hopefully we can get something like that. Maybe even an an immaculate moments. That would be pretty cool. But um, anyway, speaking of photo matched cards, that transitions us to this week's mail segment. And there are a lot of cards I could talk about here. I've narrowed it down to three and two of them will be pretty quick. The first of them is a 2021-2022 Prism Gold Parallel of O'Shea Brissett. And I've talked about this some on my YouTube before, but this card uses a picture from a Pacers-Raptors game I attended in Tampa. And while the exact picture was not on Getty Images, I used context clues to narrow it down to this May 16th game against Toronto. Uh, I have since emailed the photographer that took a lot of the shots from this game to see if he could give me more info or, you know, tell me a little bit about how that works. How would Panini get those photos? But I haven't heard back from him yet. If I do, I'll try and pass that info along to you guys. Anyway, um, if you know a little bit more about O'Shea's career, I think it makes this card more interesting because as I mentioned, it's from a Pacers-Raptors game. Well, O'Shea started his career with the Raptors. Didn't get a lot of playing time there, but he started with the Raptors. The next year in April of 2021, the Pacers signed him to a couple of 10 days before they eventually signed him outright. And um, shortly after that, the game that's pictured here is against his former team, and he scored a game high, I'm sorry, a career high also, 31 points. So when you factor all of that together and add in the fact that I was there, um, I definitely wanted to get this gold for my Pacers gold binder, and I did. Um, The second card I want to talk about is a 2011-2012 preferred autograph of Paul George, numbered 99 of 99. And I guess you've heard this play out over the course of the show here recently. It's been a slow developing trend, but I am back to intentionally, so on purpose, right, searching out and picking up some Paul George cards. It doesn't mean I'm happy about the way that he left But I guess some time has passed and I've gone through, I don't want to say the stages of grief. It's not grief, right? But I've gone through the stages of, all right, you know, this happened, he's gone, right? But I have a lot of fond memories of him with this team. And that also coincides with a lot of fond memories of Panini cards. So, you know, it only makes sense that I go back and grab some of these. And um, if you've been following my YouTube, once again, you'll know that I picked up a nice flawless patch and a nice immaculate patch as well. So this is not the only card I picked up, Um, but I still want to grab another autograph eventually, a nice on-card auto with him wearing the 24. Um, This case, this card here is not an on-card autograph, even though he is wearing that 24. Uh, This is a sticker card. And I tried, I, I decided to ignore that fact because for this one lone fact this card uses a photo from his rookie season a game I went to in Charlotte on March 23rd 2011 so you can see how this recent exercise of matching card photos to games 
has sort of revolutionized the way I look at things. And it's changed for the time being how I collect the things I'm pursuing. It's given me some more stuff to chase here and it's added another dimension to my collecting. So um, like I said, in this example, I bought a sticker auto that I would have otherwise ignored. So now I have it. Okay, the third and final card, to the best of my knowledge, is not from a game I attended, but it is something I'm pretty sure will move into my top 50 cards whenever I decide to reconfigure that list, uh, which publicly will not be anytime soon, though. I know I've done enough content about that list already. But this card is a 2021-22 Panini National Treasures Colossal 101 patch of former Pacer Roy Hibbert. And it's an entire Mel Simon tribute patch from the 2009-2010 regular season. I've talked a little bit about Mel in this tribute patch before. But for those of you that aren't familiar with the name, Mel and his brother Herb bought the team in the early 80s and vowed to keep them in Indianapolis, which is a big deal and was a big deal at the time because there were rumors, you know, if someone else bought them, there were rumors about the team moving elsewhere. And Herb actually still owns the team. He's 88 years old. Uh, Mel, however, passed away in September of 2009, hence the reason they're wearing a commemorative patch, right? They wouldn't wear it otherwise. And I've seen smaller patches uh, or that feature pieces of this before, and I actually have a, a Granger and I have a TJ Ford, but I've never seen the entire thing in one card. So when I saw this Hibbert, I knew I had to have it. I think this helps narrate a very important part of the franchise's history. As for this specific patch piece itself. If you look closely um, around the corners of the patch, you can tell it's from a gold jersey. So I went back to Getty Images, and once again, I knew it was from a specific season, so I cross-referenced pictures uh, from every game with Roy Hibbert's game log that season, and then every time the Pacers wore gold, which was not very much, and that total ended up being 10 games. Uh, all losses, by the way. They went 0-10 in those games. They were not very good that year. Um, and while I can't narrow it down any further just yet, I'm hoping another clue will pop up and another card at some point in the future. I know they used a lot of other gold pieces for Roy in the last couple years of silhouettes. I've been watching those closely. Um, either way, I'm happy to own this card as well as the other two cards I talked about today, and I'll try to make sure they get posted on social media soon. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so as you saw in the title and as I mentioned in the intro, this is in fact episode 200. And a little over a week ago, I put out some feelers on Instagram to see exactly what kind of episode people might be interested in. And I would say the general consensus is that people want me to reflect on the last 200 weeks. They want to know my favorite moments some things I would do differently, and even what I think things might look like moving forward. So I'm going to try and do a general overview of the show's history, and, and it will lean more heavily towards the first 100 episodes, because I feel like some of the other stuff is newer here, and you probably heard it. Uh, but I will do a general overview 
And I'll try and work all that stuff in at some point along the way. And I guess that means I should probably give a quick version of the origin story, even though most of you have heard it before. I know, you know, every time I go on another show, they seem to ask me about it. So uh, I have gone through this before, maybe not in, in this kind of detail here, but back in late 2018 and early 2019, I feel like I consumed pretty much all the basketball card content that, that was out there. And there wasn't much. It was mainly Cardboard Chronicles and 90s B-Ball cards on YouTube, and then House of Jordans in audio format. And to this day, I still consume some iteration of each of those shows. Uh, I should also add in that Adam, the Real 27 guy, had a show a couple years before that. Um, I had listened to those, but I don't think it was active at this time. So as I consume these active shows, I found myself saying, well, you know, if I put this show together, I would do this or I would do that. Primarily, I wanted more card history. I wanted more discussion on fraud because there was some real big stuff going on in the card world at this time, and we weren't as desensitized to all that stuff as we are now. And then I also wanted more 2000s NBA because that was my favorite era to collect, and it still is. So, you know, for whatever reason, I thought these people should conform to that. And uh, I reached out to them even in some cases as if, for whatever reason, they should tailor a show specifically to my liking. And it wasn't long before I realized that that was out of line. And I kept thinking, you know, I think I could do this podcast thing on my own. So I started asking questions because I didn't know anything about editing audio. In fact, um, this is my 200th episode. It's also the second time I'm recording it because I left my headphones plugged in the first time and it sounded like I was talking into a coffee can. So here I am still figuring this thing out on the audio side. 200 weeks later, but I didn't know about editing audio. I didn't know about selecting a provider. You know, it's a little more complicated than I thought. I didn't know about distributing the show, anything of that sort. And all three of those shows that I mentioned earlier, they were very receptive to those questions. So I want to thank them again for that. Um, then it came to coming up with a name and I, I addressed this not long ago in the listener mailbag, but uh, eventually I came up with Wax Museum, which I still love to this day because it covers the wax side of the hobby and the museum or the history side I wanted to talk about as well. So then I had the name, I used whatever limited graphic skills I had, and I created a couple logos. And come March of 2019, I set out to start this thing, not really knowing where it would end up. In fact, I, I still don't know exactly. There's not really an end point in sight, but I at least had some idea where I wanted to go. So that's where I started, covering the history leading up to Panini's exclusive license, talking about my 77 set, trying to touch on some current topics like LeBron Silvers, Gary V and Zion. Uh, and then Adam jumped on three or four times uh, early on with me. So I want to thank him once again for that. And I mentioned earlier that I wanted to cover fraud more than some of the existing shows had. Uh, not that they were, you know, not, not that they had to do that. It's just that was something I was interested in. So that picked up around episode 17. And I even had someone on the show who had altered a Curry RPA, which I felt like was a pretty big deal. I was trying to bring something to the content world uh, that um, had never been there before. And of course, that was around the time I built my RPA trackers. So you got a lot of the behind the scenes that went along with that. And I'm kind of curious, maybe I should go back um, to see if I, you know, mentioned and, and if I gave some of my thoughts and I started those for the reasons now that I think that I did, uh, which I won't because I, I hate listening to myself. But um, anyway, I, I discussed it all in that time frame there and I got pretty absorbed in that. 
And I know since then, you know, I, I said this in one of the mailbags, I think the trackers were much needed in the hobby. At the time, I thought it would benefit collectors quite a bit. Uh, I hope it pushed the grading companies to do a little bit better as well. And I know they at least claim to track serial numbers now, which is something they weren't doing at the time. So kudos to you guys, because I put that information out there. We put a little bit of pressure on them, and then you guys really poured it on. You sent them messages. You made posts on social media. They had no choice but to listen. So kudos to you guys, because you helped put the pressure on them, and now they are tracking serial numbers. But, you know, more so, I think the trackers ended up helping a group of people that are not generally cooperative when it comes to that stuff, and they're not pleasant to deal with, um, or they buy first and ask questions later. And if I had the option to do all of that again, I can't say for sure what route I'd take. I don't want to say I wouldn't do it, because there's still the side of me that says, hey, this is really important for hobby history, uh, but at the same time, I you know, I just don't know. Who is that going to benefit in the long run? So you know, regardless, I've invested a lot of time in it already, so I've kept it going. In fact, I made some major updates to the trackers this past weekend. So for now, the trackers are here to stay. And it wasn't long after that that I attended my first national in July of 2019. And at the time, the show was still only four months old, but there were a number of people that reached out to me and indicated that they had listened to the show. Some of these were guys I had connected with prior on the blowout forums, and others were people I had met as a result of the show, one of which was Kirk. I've, I've had him on the show. I've talked about him before. He doesn't really do a lot of social media, so we were able to connect to the show, and, and we would not have met otherwise. We probably text you know, weekly or a couple times a month now, so that's a friendship that I'm glad that I have because of this show. And I know Brett from Stacking Slabs has talked about how having a show can be a great hobby hack. I think this was a good example here. The show had opened up these avenues for me to network with these people and more importantly become friends. We're talking people like Kirk that I text with to this day and even though we're all part of the same hobby, it's unlikely we would have connected otherwise. So I'll say this multiple times as I go. It's going to sound cliche, you know, so what? But the people that have come into my life uh, because of this show have made this whole thing worth it, including the guests that are not in the hobby the first of which was former Pacer David Harrison. I collected him for a short time when I was in high school in the 2004-2005 season, so that was huge for me. I wanted so bad for that episode to go well, and I was pretty nervous going into it. I have to say, though, David was so nice to me. First off, for coming on the show, no question was off limits. I can't thank him enough. Um, the audio for that conversation, however, was pretty bad. This was the pre-Zoom era. And I did that one over the phone. His reception was not good. There were a lot of things that were out of my control. But once I stopped recording and hung up the phone, I kind of panicked because I knew the audio was going to be, you know, really bad. And I'm not a sound engineer, as I mentioned earlier. So I reached out to James, who you might know from Instagram as, as Captain Jack Collector. And he took the time to work with that file and, I don't know, manipulate it a little bit. I don't know the right words here. I'm not a sound guy, right? But he salvaged it as much as possible. And I didn't have anything to give him. And he didn't, you know, ask for anything in return from me. He just wanted to help out. And, um, you know, that was a long time ago now, but that's a gesture I definitely haven't forgotten. And it goes to show that even though there might be one or two people on the mic in most cases... 
there have been a lot of people behind the scenes that have chipped in in some way, be it, you know, money, advice, expertise, cards, encouragement, um, even just saying, hey, I really enjoyed that episode. Some stuff like that kind of keeps me going. So um, this show would not have made it to this point were it not for all of those people offering all of those things. So that's to you guys out there. Thank you so much. Another thing I've hoped this show would become is a sort of time capsule for the hobby. And it's been around long enough now that it might be time to see if that's come to fruition in a sense. Because, you know, January 2020 was when things really started ramping up. And there was some, some momentum and some events that really fed into that. Of course, we had the success of Luca and Trey. We had the hype of Zion and Ja. Uh, we had the unfortunate passing of Kobe Bryant. And then we had the emergence of investor content. And that was something that, you know, a lot of us had to deal with in real time. And, and I just happened to have the show while that was happening. So you could kind of see how I dealt with that as it was going on. And this was an approach that had existed in the hobby before. So don't get me wrong. This wasn't completely new, but it had never existed to this extent. And my, my feeling was that a lot of these people that were coming in, whether they meant to or not, they completely disregarded and in some sense disrespected the people and the history that had existed in this hobby before them. And that bothered me quite a bit, and I felt the need to push back against that some, just like I had pushed back against some of the big grading companies before that. I didn't really go much into the grading companies in this recap, but uh, I have quite a bit of history with them when it comes to this show. So, uh, you know, I don't really regret any of that, Although there was one instance where I, I talked about Facebook investor groups and uh, I think I, I mentioned someone's example specifically and, and talked about how kind of foolish that was. Um, you know, obviously they didn't take too kindly to that. It probably should have dialed that back a little bit. But um, uh, otherwise, I, I don't regret that approach. And I definitely don't regret picking apart the bigger investment channels and some of their questionable tactics because, you know, when I called some of that out, it seemingly changed. Uh, not long after that was pointed out. And I, I will say SCI in particular had this content formula down to a T. And it goes something like this. He created quality content looking um, to funnel people towards a, a paid membership structure. So yeah, we'll say, oh, we, you know, we never did pay for picks. Well, kind of, you know, you're kind of right. Um, then they would talk about a card or a group of cards and present it exclusively to that paid group. And then when word gets around, the value shoots up. They then give that information to the other people in that content family, right? The non-paying people, they get that information a day later. So they're making those purchases after the other people in the same content family already have that information. That seems pretty predatory. Uh, it's a cannibalistic structure and it's not healthy for anyone involved. And obviously the higher up you are in that hierarchy, the more you benefit from that. Um, and then all of that was very intentional because it created new, higher data points to use in an exclusive tool that was being marketed to all of those members. And it doesn't matter whether or not those cards actually were going to go up in value, right? As long as you could speak value into something for the time being, the value went up and your prediction was fulfilled, right? Now, these picks would come out every week and, and the cycle would repeat, I thought this was very wrong then, right? I still think it's wrong. And I think anyone that's smart enough to create that style of business structure is also smart enough to know it's wrong. 
kind of like a couple weeks ago when I talked about alt, right? Nobody should have to step in and say, hey, this is wrong, even though something might be perfectly legal. Is it right or is it not, right? And it goes back to the whole Jurassic Park model. It's not a matter of, of can we do it, it's should we do it. So if you ever wonder what I think about those kinds of channels and those kinds of content creators today, even though a lot of them have shifted to the collector content, um, I'm not going to forget what they did in that time frame and how they treated people. And I think these last couple minutes will give you an idea how I feel about them today. So uh, anyway, I'm going to back off of that. I'm going to keep going through the show's history, but uh, I do think that was an important part of the show's history around episode 62. So I wanted to touch on that again. I wanted to, to show you how I still think some of it's relevant today and some of that's played out long term. But uh, by this point in the show's history, we were kind of in that scary part of the pandemic where the world seems to have shut down, but the hobby was exploding. And looking back, I don't know how many other hobbies or industries can really say that. It certainly changed the world of content though, because as I mentioned before that, I was recording interviews over the phone and people would send me an audio file they made on their computer. Well, once the pandemic hit, everyone learned how to use Zoom and how to use Teams and they got pretty good at it too. Uh, one such person that I reached out to and, and we talked over that medium was Tim Gallagher, who helped me finish my signed 1972 top set. Um, that was a storyline that had been all the way from episode two, all the way up to that point. So um, that was an unlikely sequence of events. And, and now, like the other people I've mentioned, he and I text weekly about a number of different topics. So I'm very thankful for that. Probably my favorite episode of all time, though, was during that summer where I chatted with former player, coach, and announcer Slick Leonard. And, and no, that one was not on Zoom. Most people in their late 80s um, are not on Zoom. So that one was still on the phone, but it's hard to explain to non-Hoosiers just how important that one was to me because I, I've spent a large por portion of my life listening to Pacers games, either with my dad in the car, watching them on TV, you know, listening to them in the garage when we were working on stuff, uh, or in the case of this past weekend, like, you know, my wife and I drove quite a ways to go to a game in Miami. Um, and all of that is thanks to Slick and his wife, because they essentially made the franchise in the 70s, they saved it, uh, and they were Mr. and Mrs. Pacer. And it meant a lot to me to be able to talk to him and to help share his story for people that aren't from Indiana. And without this show, that conversation doesn't happen. You know, I don't just call him up one day and say, hey, let's talk. Uh, it, it, there's just no, nothing to do with that. There's no end product. But this show uh, and you guys gave me a reason to do that. And, and I'm forever grateful. Uh, and I'm very glad that it happened because sadly he passed away about six months after that conversation. Um, another conversation I had around this time that I really enjoyed and that, that meant a lot to me was with Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo. And to be quite frank, I was a little intimidated going into this one because this is a guy that's accomplished a lot in this world, right? So he's on one side of the screen, whereas I'm the guy on the other side of the screen. I'm on the 40-minute Zoom restriction because I refuse to pay the $150 upgrade. So um, he was gracious, though. He told me ahead of time, nothing is off limits, and it seemed like he genuinely enjoyed his time, and I know I did. Uh, there was no real incentive for him to do that either. It's not like I could elevate his brand in any capacity, but uh, I feel like he brought some credibility to this show. And like I said, it just meant a lot to me. And um, that was about the halfway point of the show, which 
was probably around the time that I was fortunate enough to bring on a couple of sponsors. I'm not going to go on and on about it, but there are fees, uh, aside from just time itself, there are fees that go into creating and, and maintaining this show and creating a domain and all that other stuff. So I'm very thankful for my sponsors. They've been very good to me. They give me a lot of freedoms with how I present uh, their brand and their content. So the first one you heard at the start of the show is Greg Morris Cards. And then the second one here, you know, it's a site that I love and and I would talk about, re- you know, whether they sponsored me or not, but that's comc.com. And they are your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a comc.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers and ship them home later or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. Um, You've heard me talk about them time and time again, right? If you want to know more about them, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. Okay, so around the same time I added those sponsors, I started having Steve, aka Sholey, on the show on a somewhat regular basis. And I know he had been on before that, but he started coming on on a more regular basis. And I know he's not going to, you know, announce this from the rooftops here, but there have been a few weeks where he has probably saved the show. And I don't just mean like just by coming on the show itself, but maybe something went wrong in my preparation or I had an idea and it it just wasn't very good. Or in one case, I was literally too sick to talk for very long. I didn't want to break my streak. I wanted to give content to you guys, uh, but I, I had to rely on somebody else, right? And he came on the show and he carried that thing for me. Um, and not just that episode, but he has been instrumental in keeping this thing going. So I may give him a hard time for collecting a guy like Jay Crowder, but I want you to know that he has been a huge part of this show. So uh, make sure you thank him at some point if you have the chance. And this was also the time where I started the listener mailbags and then the mail segments. And these are two things I feel have been fixtures on this show. And I really, I wish I had incorporated them from the start. I think I was trying to complicate things for a while when really all I had to do was talk about my mail. And, um, you know, honestly, I didn't think people would like that. And I know there are some people out there that don't. I heard a fellow content creator uh, this week explicitly say, you know, he doesn't like hearing about mail. He wasn't talking to me specifically, but he said that in general on his episode, and I respect that, right? But um, some of the times I've cut out the mail segments, people have messaged me and asked me to bring it back. So as long as I keep buying stuff and things keep showing up in that box, I think that segment is here to stay. Um, Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go over the last 100 episodes in as much detail. You know, I feel like if, if you're listening today, you probably heard a lot of those episodes by now. Uh, I'll point out a few here real quick. I think episode 125 with Zach, aka BDRR, where we talked about message board history. I think that was very important. I know hobby message boards might not be in a great state right now. And maybe this is just the nostalgia speaking here because I've been using them since the early 2000s. But I wish more of the hobby took place there because it's all scattered on social media And in the future, you know, many years down the road, it will probably be nearly impossible to put all of the pieces back together for some of the information that people might want to know. So hopefully this show will at least help in patching things together, if nothing else. Remember, I said I wanted it to be a time capsule. Um, Another great experience that I tried to chronicle on this show, 
my 2021 national experience. Um, I know I, I went in 2019. I went again in 2021. I can't say it enough. If you've never been to the national, uh, it's definitely something to consider. Around the same time, we had a lot of big hobby news, especially concerning tops, even though they're not basketball right now. They eventually will be tops and fanatics and panini. Um, and this was you know, in the post-COVID era of content. So I was a little concerned with how big events were handled. I think a lot of content creators failed to let things develop enough before they overanalyze them. We still see it today, right? I talked about it not too long ago. And it's somewhat harmful to the people involved. And I, I know I'm not perfect, but uh, whenever I do some sort of a reaction segment, I'm trying to be reasonable about things. And I hope I've been that way so far. And that pretty much brings us to 2022. And, and seeing as there is so much content out there right now, I've tried to, to be consistent with a few things here. I want to have some familiar guests that you like, but I also want to bring on some people that you haven't heard on other shows before either. And one thing that helped a lot with that is Collector Classified. So thank you to everybody that participated with that. Uh, it is on hiatus for right now just because I, I felt like I was bugging people to get them to submit their submissions but uh, maybe I'll do it less frequently. Maybe that's how that will work going forward. But I would like to bring that back. I think that's a a, um, a good feature to have on here. As far as the hobby goes, though, I had an amazing summer. I tried to share as much of that as I could with you on the show, whether it was my trip to Indy for the Midwest Monster or um, my trip to Dallas with Chad from Pact of the Future, which uh, shout out to those guys. They've been great to me all along the way here. Uh, and then also, of course, on that same trip was where I acquired my Bill Russell rookie, which was a really big deal to me. And a lot of you were cheering me on the entire way. And that means a lot. And, you know, I, I obviously I skipped some stuff here, but that for the most part takes us to today. I just want to emphasize again, how thankful I am for you guys, because you have been so generous to me. Like I said earlier, advice, help, whatever, literal gifts, right? And that's not why I started this show, but I've been really blessed by you guys. And it's meant the world to me to be able to share a, a hundred different hobby first with you, right? Because uh, there have been some things that I wouldn't have done had I not had this show, like my first grading experience or going to different shows, right? So you were there the whole time, my first national, my first grading experience, first time I pulled a Durant Chrome rookie from a pack, my Starbucks parking lot deal, my top 50 countdown, the list goes on. And people have asked me about the future of the show. And you know, it's hard to tell. I'm here for the time being. Uh, it's very time consuming, but with my current schedule, it works. And I know there have been some days where I've told Mrs. Wax Museum, hey, I've got to go shut myself in my office and get some stuff done. And uh, obviously I have to thank her because she's been very good and very supportive of that. Now, should my schedule or, or should my routine or should my life change? Um, you know, things will probably change, right? I don't know if I can make a show I'm happy with in a lesser amount of time. I will probably use this next year to experiment a little bit and, and see if I can uh, prolong the life of the show somehow, cut down on, on time here and there. But um, that's really all I've got for you today. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was, a, a all things considered, a quick look back, even though we are reaching the 35-minute mark here. You know, maybe you've got a favorite moment from the show that I didn't mention. There's a lot of stuff that I cut out. Um, or, or maybe something you want to reach out to me about, something that resonated with you. Uh, I'm all ears. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under Atwax Museum Podcast, 
or Twitter under the handle at WaxMuseumPC. I also want to plug a show I was a guest on this week called Sports Card Second. Not exactly sure when that episode will air, but I know Jacob puts a lot of hard work into that, and I want to make sure to shout him out while I think of it. As for this show, if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.